So tonight, the title of our message is One More. One More. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Mighty God, everlasting Father, we are gathered about your feet in your house to hear your words and not the words of a man. Father, you know that humanity, as you told Adam, dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. And so, Lord, you know that I am but dust in your sight. But we know what God can do with dust. We know what God can do with a contrite heart. And so it is our prayer, Lord, that this, your manservant, you may make him your mouthpiece, that you may speak through me, that you would give me courage not to diminish one word that the Holy Spirit lays upon my heart, and that he would go from heart to heart and from mind to mind, impressing truth upon the soul, that it may have a sanctifying power over our lives. This is our prayer, and we ask that you'll help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. When you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say have mercy. Okay. Luke, chapter 12. Amen. Anyone else still need mercy? Okay. There's mercy. There is mercy. All right, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 54. You guys have your Bibles, yes? I hope you come here with your word. Anyway, don't let me digress. It's already getting late. The Lord knows. Luke chapter 12, verse 54, the Bible says this. And he said also to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye say, there cometh a shower, and so it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, ye say, there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence, that means prison, till thou hast paid the very last might. It has become increasingly noticeable as a very locally itinerant preacher amongst our congregations that as young people we are becoming ignorant or indifferent of prophetic things. We don't know how to explain the 2300 days, nor do we understand the significance of many world events that pass on the television through CNN. And it seems that Jesus says, you can discern when it's going to rain. Can you not? Many of you know, right? You step outside your dorm and you just got your hair done. You kind of step, you know it's going to rain or you check your Apple widgets. Amen? (laughs) 
and you go to that weather widget and you type in College Dale, Tennessee, and it comes up. And it seems as if many times we can go outside and even though the weather channel, which can be wrong, amen, you're like, it's not going to rain. Then you go outside, just got your hair done, and lo and behold, there's that raindrop, and you feel like the antediluvians outside the ark <laughs> running to cover your hair. But anyway, we can discern. We also have this thing of picking up on signs. And so sometimes, you know, where, where perhaps we see a friend in a relationship and person starts talking to you about the relationship, you're like, I'm starting to see some signs. It seems as if the clouds are gathering around your relationship. It seems as if the clouds are gathering around your life. And Jesus says, oftentimes, we are better at discerning these kinds of signs than the signs that teach us what kind of times we are living in. It seems to me, and to the careful eye, that the clouds are gathering and that the storm is coming upon this earth. In case you're not sure about that, you may want to look up an incident where two 10-year-old children kidnapped a two-year-old child in the United Kingdom, tortured him, and then stabbed him to death. And you don't think the clouds are gathering. Or maybe perhaps you weren't aware. I was in Africa in Botswana, sitting down at an inn reading a newspaper, and the lady next to me was doing research on the relationship between AIDS and malaria. And she knew I was a preacher there at the University of Gabaron. And she said, hey, you're a preacher. You might find this interesting. And there on the cover of the newspaper, Jesus has come back. A 12-year-old boy named Jesus. And guess what his parents' names are? Mary and Joseph. And guess what? He has 12 disciples. And guess what their names are? Sebastian, Mark. <laughs> no. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm looking at the cover of the newspaper, and you read it, and he says, people will come back, and they will say, lo, he is there. Lo, he is here. But Jesus says, go not forth. And here I am looking at a newspaper, a 12-year-old boy healing people of AIDS in a village, claiming to be Jesus. I had to bring that paper back to America, and I sat it on my desk every day to remind myself. We are disconnected sometimes, and we are not discerning that the clouds are gathering. Jesus said there would be pestilence, and it seems as if it has become common that foods are sick. It has become common that tomatoes are taken off the shelf. Subway stops serving lettuce. All of a sudden you come, there's avian bird flu, mad cow disease. What's the next animal? Swine flu. Shouldn't be eating swine anyway. <laughs> Didn't need to get flu to know that. <laughs> we look at the fact in street gangs, drug dealing, violent crimes, increasing and spreading to suburbs. There are places in the world where more people have STDs than do not. The university that I attended, one in four people had a STD that was incurable. And one in every two had more than one sexual partner on campus. And we don't think the clouds are gathering. You talk about the ecumenical language and now Protestants are starting to become Catholics. We are seeing the Reformation in reverse. People are going back to the ancient religion 
back to the mother church, so to speak. Or maybe you didn't witness before the elections the financial crisis. And because of this financial crisis, I had shared with you a little bit last night, a man, I'm sorry, multiple individuals jumping to their death because their portfolios had gone down to zero. Opening the Wall Street Journal to find out that Ford's stock price is negative. It doesn't make sense. And on top of all of this, the Pope comes out with a statement calling for a world government to manage this financial crisis. Are the clouds gathering or not? Ye hypocrites, you can discern when it's going to rain, but you can't discern the times in which we're living. And so Jesus goes on to another illustration to make his point again. And he says, when you go, in verse 58, with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way. Now, an adversary at those times in the Bible, it was talking about a person who had an accusation. There was a debt to be paid. And they're saying, you owe a debt and you have not paid. And so that person is going, and you're, you're imagining to yourself, you're walking in the way, and as the person's just walking in the way, and all of a sudden the person turns, and they see somebody, they owe money. Maybe you've had this experience before. You were on campus, coming from the calf, you owed somebody some money, you saw her running after you, and you decided to duck the other way. Jesus says, don't duck the other way. And he says, what's going to happen is that person, while they're on their way, to the judge. That's how they handled debts back at those times. Earlier in the chapter, a man raised his hand and interrupted Jesus' speech and said, Lord, can you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? And Jesus said, man, who made me a judge and a divider over you? So you understand that a judge was a person that settled disputes, settled accusations and debts to be paid where rights were given to the right individuals. And here we find, he says, agree with your adversary. You are in debt to someone. Make sure you pay because when you're in the way, don't wait till you get to the judge. And friends, it seems right now we are on our way. And it makes me wonder, did you know who woke you up this morning? It wasn't your alarm clock. It wasn't your iPhone. It wasn't your laptop, it wasn't your roommate scurrying to get done her chemistry homework, it was the Lord. One amen. Jesus woke you up this morning. And this is the thing I love about God. God is so humble that he wakes you up in such a way you could forget that it was even him. Are you following me? He could, you could wake up and see this divine form standing over your bed. Hi, good morning. And then he just vanishes. You will know God woke you up. <laughs> but God doesn't do that. God gently touches your mind, awakens your faculties. And then you come to consciousness, he's not there. And you get up and say, it was my alarm clock. I woke myself up this morning. Not realizing that you are a debtor to God by creation. And by the sustaining of your life. So when you wake up, the question that Jesus says, have you agreed with your adversary in the way? Or do you walk by Jesus on campus not knowing that you owe him your life? Haven't settled our debts. And we're in the way. On our way to the judge, there to stand before God.
Do you discern the clouds are gathering? Have we settled our debts with God? Even more than this, many of us may have even missed the personal signs that God has given us in our lives. There were many temptations we saw coming ahead of time. Somebody say amen. There were many sins we saw coming ahead of time. We saw the signs, and we just ignored the signs. But we notice when another person's falling into sin, and we're quick to have discussion about that after Sabbath school. And we're quick to discuss that Sabbath afternoon after potluck. Man, that brother is in trouble. That sister is in trouble. You heard what he was teaching in Sabbath school? He's getting off into that crazy theology. Discerning the signs. What about in your own personal life? And oftentimes, I don't know anyone else stronger than a seven-day Adventist young person that's always asking for a sign. Brother Sebastian, I want to know God's will for my life. I was wondering, is this a sign? I've been thinking about maybe this isn't the relationship for me. Is this a sign? And we're not so sure, but here again, the signs can be discerned outside of ourselves in a non-spiritual environment. We don't, we discern the signs, but when it comes to the personal life, we don't discern the signs. And as Jesus was teaching this principle, the clouds gathering, discerning what times we are living in, do you understand there is a debt on the table by virtue of your breathing? Your heart doesn't pump blood, it pumps grace. It doesn't run on oxygen. It runs on the sustaining spirit of God. No amens. Maybe you don't know the same God that I know. That the Bible says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Maybe you don't know the Jesus I know that the Bible says <laughs> by him all things consist. That means hold together in the Greek. You want to know why your life isn't falling apart? It's not because you had a good plan or you made a schedule or you got an SAU planner at your room. That's not why your life hasn't fallen apart. Your life hasn't fallen apart because Jesus lives. Debts on the table. Have we agreed? And so Jesus says there were some people in Luke chapter 13 in verse 1, that were present at that season. Some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered so much? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. There were some at that season. So as they're listening to the Lord talk about these people who can't discern the signs of the time, as they're listening to Jesus talk about people settling their debts, they come and they say, yeah, Jesus, just like those Galileans who Pilate mingled their blood with their sacrifices. 
just like them, Jesus. And we look at the signs of the times. We look at the street gangs. We look at the violence. We look at the Pope calling for this world government. We look at the avian bird flu and the financial crisis, and we say, I hope the world wakes up because this message is for them. And so Jesus discerns, and he asks SAU a question. Do you suppose that these people, that two-year-old child, those children whose mother drowned them in her own bathtub, do you suppose that they were sinners above all people as to why they suffered such things? I'm telling you the answer is no. You shall likewise perish, except you repent. The message is for you. When you see the clouds gathering, it's not for the world, brethren, only. It's for us to wake up and repent of our sins. And we like to know when a preacher's preaching, we're like, man, I wish Sally was here to hear this. I wish Bobby was here to hear this. I wish my chemistry professor was here to hear this. And we have a message that's being preached, we're like, man, that's good for somebody else. That's not for me. But we look at the financial crisis, man, I don't know how we're making it in this world without Jesus. That's what we say. And you know I'm telling the truth. I don't know how people make it with no Sabbath. We say that all the time. And there go the signs of the times we're not discerning. And we're like, that's for them. And Jesus says, hello, except you repent. That means there's some debts you have to be paid in your own life. We don't say forgive us our sins in the Lord's Prayer. We say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So on top of this, we're saying, Lord, forgive me the same way I forgave the person who didn't do the homework in our group project. Forgive me the same way, Lord. Forgive me the same way I forgave my father for not being around when I was young. Forgive me the same way I forgave my mother for not being supportive of the major I chose. Forgive me the same way, Lord. And God says, guess what? Sometimes God forgives us the same way we forgive other people. Debts on the table. And Jesus says, do you think this message is for them? If there's anything 9-11 should have been to us as American Adventists, it should have been a wake-up call. Wake-up call. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Are we understanding that when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah, even though it is a type of the things that God will do to the cities that are cesspools of sin, homosexuality becoming pervasive, and we're starting to embrace that in our church, alternative lifestyle. No, it's just an alternative way to hell. Somebody say amen. amen. In this sense, friends, in this sense, we look at these things and we say, wonder why God could hit New York that way. He would not touch Sodom until Lot was outside. He wouldn't touch it. 
Because Abraham said, shall the judge of the earth not do righteously? Shall you destroy the wicked with the righteous? That means in New York, no righteous. And so for us, as a judgment from God, as a warning, as a message to his church, to his people, what happens when the tragedies start showing up in Collegedale? Will we get the message then? What happens when the crime rate starts going up on campus? Will we get the message then? Absence of true godliness in these cities. And we're saying the message is for them. My fear with these Adventist universities is that we have lost a connection with the world. We are not in touch with reality. What people are really going through real issues, real sins, and you come to a person and say, I have been abused all my life. Can God give me victory today, or is it evolution? Is it righteousness by faith or not? Power from God unto salvation. And in this sense, we wouldn't know what to say. And because our church, sometimes we're so congregated together, we're so tied into each other, we don't understand what the world is dealing with. And you drop us off in a secular environment and we start becoming like them. Man, she was fine when she was here at Southern, then she went out there to Spokane, then she went out there to California, then she went out there to Chicago, lost her direction. Now she's not sure God exists at all. Did Southern do its job? Not to produce an educated teacher, but an educated missionary. That's what this institution exists for. But we're going to create educated weaklings. And people go out, yes, you know how to do chemistry. Yes, you can do math. Yes, you're a doctor. Yes, you're a nurse. But can you hold your own in the spiritual warfare outside? Education is not included in the armor of God. Salvation is included. Faith is included. Truth is included. The gospel of peace is included. Not education. Righteousness. So when we leave this institution, where shall you be? Will you be an instrument of righteousness for God? Will Jesus have a citadel in your community to use for his glory? This, I fear, has become the condition of our institutions. Happy and righteous here. But friends, this is not why God put us on this earth. So lastly, Jesus says, in case you didn't get it, I have a parable in verse 6. And he says, he spake also this parable. We're almost done. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found how much? How much did it say? He found no fruit. Then said he unto the dresser, that's the gardener of his vineyard, behold, that means surprise. 
He says, look at this. Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. It is a common theme throughout Scripture that God describes his people as a vineyard. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says that the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the nation of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. In Psalm, chap- in Psalm 80, David says in the Psalm of, of 80, he says that God brought out a vine from Egypt. And we can go from place to place to place throughout the Bible. God describes his people as a vineyard. And he comes and he says, a certain man had a vineyard. And he had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and he sought fruit thereon and he found none. Now here's a question for you. If you come to a fig tree and it does not produce fruit, do you think that would be odd? Yes or no? Yes, right? The tree exists to produce what? Figs. That's what it exists for. It is a fig tree. How can a fig tree not have any figs? It's not a maple tree. It's not a walnut tree. It's not an orange tree or whatever other kind of tree. It's a fig tree. And the man came looking for fruit, and he finds none. And the Bible says this went on for three years. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Notice that when you look in the Bible, imagine now, when a man is planting a vineyard, do you think he considers the best soil? Yes or no? Yes? So he's like, I'm going to make sure this thing is planted in the best soil. Number two, when he was selecting his fig tree, do you think he chose the rinky-dink, ranky tree, or did he choose the best tree? He chose the best tree. Okay, so now you have, in this sense, this man has put a lot into producing this fig tree. He invested all these resources, and at least for three years, he has not seen any fruit. No fruit at all. Not even like it produced some fruit, little fruit, zero fruit. And so you find yourself a man with disappointed hopes. Disappointed hopes. He was looking for fruit. And time and time again, he said, I'm looking for fruit. I've come to this tree. Now, here's some interesting facts about fig trees. When you plant a fig tree... There are some fig trees that will produce fruit the same year you planted it. Oh, wait, it gets better. Some fig trees can even produce fruit multiple times a year. Two, three, four times a year, it can produce fruit. Now, it gets better. Fig trees tend to produce fruit before leaves. So you're like, okay, everything about this fig tree that can produce fruit multiple times a year, it'll produce fruit before it has leaves. The best that you have here, and he says, I had this fig tree, and the Bible always labels God's people as trees of righteousness planted of the Lord. 
And Jesus says, he planted a fig tree and God came and he found no fruit. And the question that the owner asked was, he says, why does it cumber the ground? Do you know what the word cumber means? The word cumber means to burden the ground. You ever heard of the word cumbersome? This is a very cumbersome task. That means it's very burdensome. It's not only that the, the tree is not producing fruit, it's become a decided hindrance. It's one thing not to be useless, it's another thing to get in the way. What do, you, what do I mean by that? You see, if he took out the tree, he could plant another tree that will actually produce fruit. Are you with me? So now, here comes the questions now. How long has God been coming to you for fruit and found none? How long has he been coming to Southern looking for fruit and found none? And notice when the gardener turns to him, he says, let it alone this year also. That means this isn't the first time we've had this discussion. And here again, you have God the Father coming and he's saying, Sebastian, I'm looking for fruit. No fruit. And Jesus steps in and says, Father, listen, let me let it alone this year. I'm going to dig about him. I'm going to dung him and give him time to produce fruit. And in this sense, Jesus, as the heavenly gardener, looks at us. He does not disagree with the owner. He doesn't say, you're right. It should, he says, no, no, you're wrong. It shouldn't be cut down. He never says that. He says, if it doesn't bear fruit this year, then cut it down. You see, friends, many of us in this room grew up in an Adventist home. Many of us grew up in a spiritual environment. Many of us grew up with Bible stories, with family worship, with a mother and a father. God gave us the best situation to be the most powerful Christians. And he comes looking for fruit, finding none. And on top of that, the book of Isaiah says God builds a wine press in the beginning. Now, what's a wine press for? The wine press is to make the grapes into grape juice. And he builds that before he ever plants the tree. You know what that means? He was expecting fruit. He was so confident that he would get fruit. He already built up the wine press. I'm so confident that people here in Southern, they're going to live righteous lives. I'm so confident they're going to be 100% committed to the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I am so confident I provide a beautiful church. I provide a wonderful campus. I'm so confident that this environment, there is no way they won't produce fruit. And so we come to this place where now again God has come to you time after time after time after time. Maybe for you it's not three years, maybe it's 21. Maybe for you it's five. Maybe if you're a senior, it's four. God's been looking for fruit, finding none. And he says, cut it down. And Jesus steps in. And he says, Lord, you're right. It should be cut down. But here's the good news. 
I want you, Lord, to give it one more year. Let me tell you something, young people. We don't like to talk about death as young people. I talk about death all the time because it's a reality. Young people die. And for many of us, we think we have time. We think we have time. But how do you know this year isn't your one more? You know who you are in the audience or watching this on the internet or wherever. How do you know this year isn't the year that Jesus said one more? One more, that's it. And Lord, if it doesn't bear fruit, cut it down. How many times that death was creeping at your dorm room door, you didn't know that Jesus stepped in and said, Lord, spare her this year also. Friends, we need to understand, many of us should have died. Car accidents. When I preached in Rwanda, and you talk about the genocide that went on, why is it that your family members died in the genocide and you did not? God spared your life. For what purpose? Because he thought you could do more than what you've done in the past. He thought that, you know what, I'm so hopeful. I know this tree can produce fruit. I know this person can live a righteous life. I know this person will be faithful. Give them one more, Lord. But how do you know this year isn't yours? We don't know, friends. But Jesus looks at this troubled tree and he says, Father, I will give it more attention. Are you hearing me? You haven't been producing fruit. Many of us have never led one soul to Christ. Why are we Christians? Many of us have been struggling with the same sins for a long time. And God keeps coming, looking for the fruit of righteousness. Looking for patience, hasn't found it. Looking for love, hasn't found it. Looking for meekness, hasn't found it. And now, you could be at your one more. Before I close, I want to tell you this story. I was in college, and as an undergrad, before I knew Jesus, I was really in love with Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. The Lord saved me. So anyway, I used to buy these Reese's Penny Butter Cups, and they used to come in the vending machines. So I came to this vending machine at my university, put in my change, C9. So you press the button, and it gets stuck. I'm like, okay. I got more change. So, you know, you figure you'll get two then, right? They'll both come out. So I put in my chains. C9. And they both get stuck. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm sitting there flabbergasted in front of this thing. How is it possible that both of them got stuck? So now right then and there, here I am, this angry college student, about 19 years old, and I'm looking at this machine like it's my worst enemy. 
And I'm like, man, I'm about to shake this machine. And right there on the top, big bold letters, do not shake machine. <laughs> I wasn't a Christian. So I look left, I look right, I started shaking the machine. <laughs> I want my Reese's peanut butter cups. I put in my 65 cent. So I'm shaking this thing off the rocker. Then I grab my, my peanut butter cups and I leave. And my question tonight is how many people is God shaking right now? I want my Reese's peanut butter cups. I want my righteousness. I have put in Jesus. I have put in the Holy Spirit. I have dispatched all of heaven on your behalf. And then when I convert sinners, I send them to you too. Message after message after message after message. And how many of us is Jesus shaking us? And we're like, Lord, why are these things happening? Can you not discern the signs? How come this is going wrong? How come this is going bad? How come this? And God is like, are you missing it? The fruit that I'm looking for, caught on the strings of your selfishness. God created that tree. He planted it for fruit. And it produces nothing. But Jesus says, Father, give it one more. There's somebody here that may feel in certain aspects of their lives they've gone too far. There's someone here who's been battling with something, that sin that you get so tired of resisting that temptation, you just say, you know what, I'm done. Some of us here know God has been coming for a long time, looking for righteousness, looking for that evangelistic spirit, looking for that selflessness that existed in Jesus. It's not there. And God looks at you as a Christian and he says, it's odd for you not to produce fruit. That's why I'm so patient. And then he looks at you and he says, you know what? I'm going to get closer to you. I'm going to dig about you. I'm going to dung you. And so this evening, the call is as an individual, as an institution, could be one more. This church, as beautiful as it is, may have one more year. This school, this campus, as beautiful as it is, he doesn't care how nice the leaves are. He came looking for fruit. He doesn't care what kind of doctoral degrees... He came looking for fruit. We need to see the clouds are gathering. This will not be forever. This world, and looking in prophetic glance, friends, we are on the very cusp of a serious crisis. And if we don't see that, we are in trouble as a church, as an individual. And this time when the father comes back, there won't be a gardener. It's just going to be cut it down. But Jesus says tonight, I have increased attention I want to give to you. 
Jesus says tonight, if you abide in me, you shall produce fruit. Jesus says tonight, I'm going to dig about your life. But we got to give him permission. There's nothing the fig tree can do to produce fruit. Nothing. Only the gardener. And Jesus has given all. He's given all. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Perhaps there is a young soul here tonight that says, I know that I'm a fruitless tree in God's vineyard. I know that I am a cumberer of the ground. I'm taking the place of a person who, if they came into this church, would be producing more fruit than me. I know I've been soaking up the resources that God has put into this church, and I have produced nothing in return. I know. But tonight, but tonight, I want the heavenly gardener to draw near unto me. I want the heavenly gardener to dig about me, to dung me. Fertilize my life, Lord, with your word. Fertilize my life with Christian friends, true Christian friends, committed to the word of God and to the mission of this church. Or maybe you're a person who says, I want to produce fruit that I've never produced before. If that's your prayer this night, I want you to stand with me as we pray. Lord, I know I'm a cumberer of the ground. And my very specific appeal is for that person who thinks they've gone too far. For that person sitting here and says, Sebastian, I'm beyond reach. There are no more opportunities. There's no more attention Jesus could give me to help me produce the fruit that he's looking for in my life. I want that young person that's here tonight to come down and know that the heavenly gardener will still dig about you. He says there's one more. There's another year. There's another day. There's another month. You know that's you. I want you to come down. I want you to come up, up front. You feel as if you've gone too far. I've been messing up too long, Lord. Come and say, Lord, I want the heavenly gardener. Special attention. Come. I know there's one. God bless you, sister. It takes courage to be honest with God. God bless you. You know, you think there's no way God can reach you, but you want Jesus to draw near. That is the beauty of his mercy. He looks at you and he does not turn his head. He doesn't say, what's up with this tree? He says, Father, I'm going to give it some more attention. You think you are beyond reach. I want you to come. You are not beyond reach. Jesus can still reach you on an Adventist campus. You may think you've heard every sermon. 
You've heard all the Bible studies. You've listened to all the things on audio verse. Whatever the case may be, you think there's nothing. But no, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him. Come. If there are others, please come. Don't hesitate. God bless you. Please come. You think you've gone too far. And you're like, Lord, I want you to reach me. I'm giving Jesus consent to dig about my life. That means he's going to separate some things from you. You're giving Jesus to dig about your heart. And you're saying, Lord, tonight, I need you to dig about me. Come. I want Jesus to draw closer to me. And if you are coming forward and you're saying, Lord, I know I'm struggling. (laughs) I know that I'm not producing fruit. The special blessing of heaven is Jesus himself is coming nearer to you. He doesn't send Gabriel to dig about your life. Jesus says, I'm coming closer to you. I don't care how far in the back or how close in the front. Come forward if you know that this is your situation. Come forward. No music. Just you and the Spirit of God. Is there another before I pray to close this meeting? Please, if you're not coming, pray that God would touch the heart of that person that needs to come. God bless you. Come. You think you are beyond reach. You know. You know you should have died and God has spared your life. Come forward. There was an accident. You should have died. Jesus spared your life. You're like, Lord, I need to give my life fully to you. Come. Come. You had an accident. You should have died. Situation. You should have been gone. Maybe you were a mother struggling with breast cancer, recovered. You should have died. Come. Dedicate your life to God. Because you're saying, Lord, you spared me. Now I need you to work in my life. Come. Come. And receive your one more. Receive your one more. I'm just going to hold this for 30 more seconds, and then we're going to pray. So please, if you're struggling to come, raise your hand. We'll send someone to get you. Brother Sebastian, I'm too embarrassed to come. I'm a professor, I'm a leader, I'm a pastor, I'm a theology major on campus. I don't care. You're like, I'm too embarrassed to come. Raise your hand. I'll send someone to come get you. It is so important that young people come to this appeal. Because we've been inundated with the message and we're like, it doesn't even affect me anymore. Come. And Jesus can do more in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how you've been leading in our lives. We thank you, Father, for this message and visiting us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray now for those that have come forward, and we ask, Lord, that those who thought, Lord, there was nothing else you could do, 
but they've come because they want Jesus as the heavenly gardener to draw near unto them. That Jesus is going to do for them that which they could never accomplish for themselves. They've come with open hearts and open minds. And we are earnest, Lord. We are earnest that you would show the miracle of God on this campus, that Jesus still reaches people amidst an Adventist Mecca. Show yourself strong, Lord. And for those of us who have stood and to say, Father, we know that this opportunity may not always be, but transform us as a student body, transform us as a staff, transform us as an institution, that we may be the fig tree producing figs that you called us to be. Thank you, Father, for these blessings and these gifts. Precious they are. Keep us faithful, Lord, and change us, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.